have our gray sheath that's going to serve for our hymn tonight. And we're all the way to the last stanza. We're on stanza number six to learn. Therefore we in love adoring, Therefore we in love adoring. This most blessed name revere. This most blessed name revere. So as we've gone through this hymn, we've talked about the name of Jesus, that this is the name we've been given uh, to call upon, the name by which we are saved, the name in which we are actually given his name, Jesus Christ. We become a Christian, and so we're given the name of Christ. We share in his uh, gifts, and we even share in his glory. We're going to talk just a bit even tonight as we talk about the transfiguration and just exactly what that means. So we adore this name. We hold it up, revere it. Holy Jesus, the imploring. Holy Jesus, the imploring. So to write it in us here. So to write it. Holy Jesus, the imploring, so to write it in us here. Holy Jesus, the imploring, so to write it in us here. So, that we might be written into the name of Jesus, that we might join with him. That hereafter, heavenward soaring, that hereafter, heavenward soaring, we may sing with angels there. Through calling upon the name of Jesus, we have heaven to look forward to. Yes, um, we will rise body and soul, we'll heavenward go, soaring to be with him. Uh, we'll share with the angels, they already, uh, the holy angels share in that glory. We look forward to it. In the transfiguration, we get to see a vision of well, not the angels this time, but we get to see a, a vision of Moses and Elijah. All right, stanza number six. Therefore we in love adoring this most blessed name revere. Holy Jesus, the imploring, so to write it in us here, that hereafter, heavenward soaring, we may sing with angels there. All right, we're on the catechism. We're on the section dealing with confession, or private confession absolution, actually. We took a look last time where it talked about what is it? What is confession? Well, we said, first, confession has two parts. First, that we confess our sins. Second, that we receive absolution. And what is this absolution? We confess our sins. We uh, acknowledge them, that we have done them. We've offended our God. That we refer, uh, what is absolution? That is forgiveness from the pastor as from God himself. So if God has sent the pastor as his representative and he's supposed to preach out the word of God, so when he preaches out this word of absolution, we're to receive it from him 
as God's representative, as if God himself had spoken it. Not doubting, but firmly believing that by it our sins are forgiven before God in heaven. So we took a look at it, confession and absolution. Uh, the second question that came under it was this, what sins should we confess? Well, we made a distinction. We said, before God, well, he has told us to confess all sins, even to confess sins we don't remember, don't know, saying that we are sinners. Uh, and so before God, we confess all those sins. Before our neighbor, we confess those sins that we have committed against them. If you have sinned against your neighbor, if I've sinned against uh, Karen, I don't go over and confess to Jonathan. I confess to the person that I've sinned against. I speak to them about my sin. And so you speak to the person uh, to whom you have committed the sin. Before the pastor, what does it say? If there are sins which trouble us, those which we know and feel in our hearts, um, yes, we're not required to confess all sins, but if you want to hear God's forgiveness, for in our sins, we always sin against God. Uh, God is offended uh, by our sin, even our sin against our neighbor. And so uh, we wish to go and to hear what does God say about this, God's representative. So uh, we confess those. When the third question under confession, which are these? Concerning these sins we're supposed to confess, which are these? Repeat after me. Consider your place in life, Consider your place in life. According, to the Ten Commandments. according to the Ten Commandments. Consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments. Consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments. All right, so we walked through the commandments. Hmm. And we saw that the commandments... You shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Uh, you will keep his name holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet. Oh, what? We walk through. Hmm. Okay, these are the commandments that point out our sin. But here it says, you ought to consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments. So we're going to apply the Ten Commandments. But it matters what our place in life is. What does it mean by your place in life? What is your place? Okay. I have a lot of places. Uh-oh. I'm a mother. I'm also a daughter. A wife. A teacher. A fellow member of Trinity. Of Trinity. You've got a lot of places. Consider your place in life. Okay. So, it depends. Sometimes it depends based upon your place in life, what is right and what is wrong. 
if you decide that you are angry at the person who took your parking space at the, uh, at the mall and decide that you're going to uh, get out and punch them, punish them for their transgression, that would be wrong. Hmm. But, hmm. if you are a judge and your place in life, and you uh, make a ruling to send someone off to jail to punish them, fine them, punish them with service, that is not wrong. The difference being, what is your place in life? Hmm. If you condemn someone and tell them that they need to go to hell, that would be to condemn them, hmm, that might be wrong. But if you're the pastor and you have to speak to someone concerning their sin and their unrepentance, you may have to speak those words. And in that instance, your place in life, if I don't do that, I would be sinning. Oh, quite different. So we have to consider our place in life. What things do you have to do um, considering your place in life as a mother? What? Make dinner. Make dinner? Okay. Discipline your children. All right. Um, Isaiah's not a mother, though. No? Are you a son? Ah, you're somebody's child, aren't you? Um, your dad came to see me today, didn't he? Oh, it isn't? Um, let me see. Your mother. I didn't get to see her. What's her name? Okay. So, if... What, is, what, what are you supposed to do as a child? Are there things you're supposed to do? Huh? Are you supposed to tell your mother to go to bed? Oh. What if she tells you when it's time to go to bed? Are you supposed to listen? That would be your place in life, right? That's what's been given you to do. Karen, did you have a hand a while ago? It's been long enough that you don't remember. <laughs> All right, consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments. Next part, repeat after me. Are you a father, mother, son, daughter, husband, wife, or worker? Are you a father, mother, son, daughter, husband, wife, or worker? Are you a father, mother, son, daughter, husband, wife, or worker? Right. So it's been given us, according to the Ten Commandments, things to do. But according to our place in life, we apply those things that we've been given. So we study the commandments, but we want to know, and it may be that... Uh, as our place in life changes, it may also be that we've been given things
things, different things to do or different things not to do? Have you been disobedient, unfaithful, or lazy? Have you been disobedient, unfaithful, or lazy? So disobedient, disobey. Everybody that is in this world has someone that they are, well, placed in a relationship with. Nobody comes into this world a free agent. First of all, you don't choose your parents. Hmm. You're already got a relationship. Um, you normally have someone that you are responsible to. You're placed underneath parents. You're placed underneath uh, a government well, that, is, that is over you, to which you are to give honor, pay taxes, that which is, is due. Uh, Oftentimes, somebody is under you, a child, or you may be an employer and you have employees. You may be in a position as a pastor. They have those that are committed to your care, that you are to be the overseer of their uh, teaching and life. You may be a, uh, someone who is, is placed over uh, someone else. You may be a government official. Aha! You have to go and, and uh, look over a kitchen to make sure that it is uh, up to standards uh, that need to be. Everybody has people they are under and people that they are, that they are over. Um, within those, we can disobey. We can be disobedient to those that are the governing authorities, parental authorities, ecclesiastical authorities. Whatever you want, whatever realm you want to, to speak about. Uh, disobedient, you can be unfaithful. There are within these relationships, uh, the Proverbs speaks about if you have a friend, you are to keep their secrets. That's been given you to do. Uh, that's what friends do. If you have a spouse, you are to be faithful to them, not unfaithful faithful as it lists here. Um, there are things that in your duties, as it says here, laziness. You've been given you've been given responsibilities. You've been given things to look over. Uh, Jesus tells the, the story of someone who has been entrusted to them uh, five coins or this or that. And they are to make sure that they manage and take care of what they've been given. You've been given time, 168 hours a week, money, maybe goods. Um, you've, you've, you've been given opportunities uh, in which you can help your neighbor. We are not to be lazy in doing those, but that we might uh, reach out to help. Have you been hot-tempered? Hot rude, rude? Or quarrelsome? Have you been hot-tempered, rude, or quarrelsome? Have you been hot-tempered, rude, or quarrelsome? Hot-tempered. What kind of sin is that? Hot-tempered. Hmm. When his neighbor gets angry, 
easily gets angry, okay? What now? Not a justified kind of anger. Yeah, it can be a justified. Not all anger is, is, is wrong. Easy to get anger. What happens with anger? Usually it involves then, what do you do with that anger? Well, with the hot-tempered, it is someone that you easily get angry at someone in which you're going to, well, condemn them, punish, harm them, hurt, this kind of thing. Um, hmm. Why, well, what if they're doing wrong? Okay. Try to keep that person from sinning and get, get them to see their sin rather than you just blowing the top off um, to distract from what's really going so on. So the purpose being the good of my neighbor. Right. Okay. Let's see. When Paul speaks about love, Love always looks out for the good of my neighbor. We have a God of whom we have sinned against. Um, he could be very justified in his anger as well as in his punishment towards us, but he has not. What has he done? In his graciousness, he has been slow to anger, the scriptures say, not quick to condemn, point out, punish. Rude. Hmm. Rude. <coughs> Mark. Rude is being is being bad to your neighbor, just not treating them as you have to be treated. In other words, it's it falls into murder, really. <laughs> it still does. Absolutely. That's that's the same avenue that it is. Um, rudeness normally, as it deals with our neighbor, is to not give them the respect that is due. Um, it is often seen, we would say, in what is called social contracts today, in which we say there are certain things that uh, within society we have to interact with each other. And we have rules for interacting within that. When you go beyond that, it can be none other than, than being rude uh, concerning it. Um, it may be one thing uh, to tell your uh, child, go take out the trash. Why? Well, it may be their job. Um, and that happens to be what's going on. In, uh, in a congregational setting, for me to simply say, hey, Dan, go take out the trash. Well, I, um, you kind of go, well, now wait, you know what? Uh, um, that, that would probably be rude. That would be overstepping the bounds of that, or, or even in a, uh, a friend context. You know, normally you would say, 
hey, Dan, would you be willing to take out the trash? You know, what do you do? There is that which is rude and that which is demanded does not respect uh, uh, who they are or, or even taking advantage of friendship, those kind of things. Yes, I think Fifth Commandment, where you talk about uh, those kind of things. Uh, maybe even maybe even stealing, for example, like you know, like a stop sign. You you run up a stop sign and you take your spot before they do. You've stolen from their time, is what you've done. Sure, I could see that. Absolutely, absolutely. And so I, I am more important than anything here. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I steal that place in line. That uh, uh, what. Uh, Hot-tempered, rude, quarrelsome. Hmm. I often think of Jesus spending three years with 12 men, fishermen. And I think, you know, Jesus, <laughs> perfect knowledge, did not sin, and I, I, that, this could have been an absolutely terrible experience if he wanted to point out every sin, um, quarrelsome. He could have argued with them and won every argument, pointing out their lack of logic, their misplaced whatever. Um, you know, at times, what did they do? Argued about who was the best. Um, wow. Was Jesus among them? For th do, do you think that he took every opportunity to correct them? I don't think so. And so, were there times? Absolutely, it records it. But that he would be quarrelsome, quick to correct, no. Um, there were times that I'm sure he let things go. Uh, we too have been given great things, but that we would simply be there to always quarrel, to always correct, to always involve a disagreement, I know better. This, no, that, it's a lack of love, a lack of love towards our neighbor. And so as we are dealing with our neighbor, sure, we need to be saying, you know, what, what would be the... Uh, the loving thing uh, to do. Hot-tempered, rude, or quarrelsome. Next one. Have you hurt someone by your words or deeds? Have you hurt someone by your words or deeds? Have you stolen, been negligent? Have you stolen, been negligent? Wasted anything or done any harm? Wasted anything or done any harm? And so, again, we see other ways of, of speaking about this place in life that we have been given, uh, that we might devote ourselves to. Uh, this year I've been uh, using the quotes from the Catechism, from Luther, um, Book of Concord, that deal with teaching children. Uh, last year I, I dealt with uh, husband and wife and, and those relationships that are within the institution of marriage and so this that we might consider what is it that we owe our our neighbor out of love and what gifts have we been given that we might uh, serve them that we might help them 
uh, that we might also better ourselves so that we can be of, of good use towards, towards my neighbor. So as this goes through, of course, we're going to take a look at the Ten Commandments to show us our sins. But our place in life is also to be considered uh, what we have been given and uh, how we would use those things that we wouldn't be, whether it's lazy or wasted or, or those kind of things. Comments or questions? All right, we have time for a Bible verse or two. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 49. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 49 says this, And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, and just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven. So we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven. So a little bit earlier, as Paul is speaking about this in 1 Corinthians, he says, the first man was of the dust of the earth. Hmm. Who's he talking about? Adam, of course, who was made of the dust of the earth. And then, a little bit later, it says, the second man from heaven. The second man. Who's the second man? Jesus, Jesus absolutely. Um, and he goes on to talk about, there was a natural man, natural, and there was a spiritual man. He's also going to draw the distinction between that first man who was of the dust who fell into sin and that second man, Jesus Christ, who came and released us from sin. But he says, we bear the likeness of the one who was made of the dust of the earth. We too are human in our nature. But because we believe in Christ... Jesus Christ, the one who has come from heaven, it says, will also bear that likeness. That is, we will have a spiritual uh, nature. We will have that which will live forever. And so we have been given a, a, a spirit, the spirit of Christ, uh, who, who dwells in our soul so that we might. And so he talks about how just as we have this, so then we will. Have this. Well, just as Christ himself came and took on our human nature, so also then it says we will, what, have a, uh, a changed body? We're going to talk about the transfiguration tonight and, and speak about how Jesus, who in his human nature, his body was changed, his figure was changed, in which we saw him shining as the sun, even his clothes were translucent and white. 
so also then we will, in the resurrection, get our bodies back. And it says we too will have a, uh, a heavenly body. Uh, it'll be our body, but it will be changed. And so here, just as we have borne the likeness of the man that was of the dust of the earth, uh, so also uh, we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. So we'll see that what we see with Jesus on that Mount of Transfiguration, we're also going to receive in our resurrection. We will have this, uh, which is the heavenly glory. All right, let me stop there. I'll light the candles, and we'll begin. O oh Lord, open my lips. And my mouth will declare your praise. Make haste, O oh God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O oh Lord. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. Praise to you, O Christ. Hallelujah. You may be seated. The readings on the back of the bulletin was Matthew 17. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold... Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. This is God's word. The hymn is hymn to the name of our salvation. To the name of our salvation, Lord and honor let us pay, which for many a generation hid in God's foreknowledge lay. 
But with holy exaltation we may sing aloud today. Jesus is the name we treasure, name beyond what words can tell, name of gladness, name of pleasure, ear and heart delighting well, name of sweetness passing measure, saving us from sin and hell. Tis the name for adoration, tis the name of victory, tis the name for meditation in this veil of misery, tis the name for veneration by the citizens on high. Tis the name that to so preacheth speaks like music to the ear, who in prayer this name beseecheth, sweetest comfort findeth near, who with perfect wisdom preacheth, heavenly joy possesses here. Jesus is the name prevailing over every name by right. At this name in terror quailing, powers of hell are put to flight. God in mercy never failing saves us by this name of mine. Therefore we in love adoring this most blessed name revere. Holy Jesus, the imploring, so to write it in us here, that hereafter heavenward soaring we may sing with angels there. Amen. All right, this is Matthew 17, which I guess that would follow Matthew 16, wouldn't it? Now, what happens in Matthew 16? Famous exchange of Jesus, particularly with someone named Peter. Ideas? Nope. Nope. That's after Easter. Who do you say that I am? Matthew 16. Jesus asks uh, the disciples. Peter is the one that speaks up and says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Matthew 16. After he confesses this, Jesus goes on to tell him that he's going to suffer and die in Jerusalem. What does Peter tell him? No, never. No, never. We're not going to have that. I'll stand up for you, right? 
And so he has to go on and teach him, no, that's what the Christ does. You've just confessed who I am, here's what the Christ is. And so Jesus tells him. He also goes on to tell them about what they uh, will receive, uh, a heavenly reward. We get to Matthew 17. Jesus takes how many? Does he take all 12? How many apostles does he take? Three. Peter, James, John. He takes Peter, James, and John. He takes them aside. He doesn't take the other ones. And they get to see this. The others don't. In fact, he even tells them, don't tell anyone about this until I have risen from the dead. And then we know that they told about this because Peter even records it in the scriptures where he talks about how they got to see uh, Jesus' glory. All right, so Matthew writes about this. What about Matthew? He wasn't there. <laughs> so how does Matthew know? Yeah, they must have told them later, particularly probably Peter. Okay, so we've got Matthew, and uh, he's telling us what goes on. Uh, they go up on a high mountain by themselves, and Jesus changes. Jesus is a man, just like you and I are. He's a human being. He walks, he talks, he eats, he sleeps. He looked no different. Jesus didn't walk around with a halo over his head. They put that in the pictures for purposes that you might know something else. But they didn't have that. Um, and so Jesus looked like just every ordinary person. When they went up on the mountain, he did. But once they get up on the mountain, it says that Luke tells us that Jesus was praying Normally, Luke tells us about Jesus praying. Jesus is praying on the mountain. We find out that the disciples are sleepy. They are drowsy, heavy with sleep. Reminds us whenever Jesus prays, the disciples fall asleep. Um, not a good thing, but okay, so that happens. And then it says that Jesus' figure changed and the apostles in effect, wake up, or they become fully aware. It's not a dream that they had. Uh, they were, you might say, shocked into this uh, vision where what happens? Well, Jesus looks like he's going to look in heaven. In the book of Revelation, John chapter 3 gets a picture of heaven, and there it says that there is no sun there, for Jesus, God himself, is their light. And he's shining out in his glory, and so we see that. Here, they get to see Jesus as true God. They've confessed him as being the Christ, the son of the living God. Now they get to actually see him as they have believed. They believed it because he confessed it. They believed it because he did miracles, who is this who makes the wind and the waves obey him? And I, I, okay. He changed the water into wine. He did. Now they get to actually see it. Hmm. Why does the Heavenly Father 
give this vision of Jesus to Peter, James, and John? Why does he let them see this? got to be a reason. Did he give them some hope when he goes and he dies? We know that after this, it says that Jesus sets his eyes towards Jerusalem. In other words, this is pretty well. We've reached the pinnacle. He's taught them what they need to know. And now Jesus is getting ready to go and suffer and die. For these three, they are given a look far ahead before it actually all happens. And they get to see this, this vision. So that's for the future. What about the past? Matthew 16, prepared them for, you know who I am, I've told you what I'm going to do, you know what you'll get, now let me show you what I'm, he now gives, to those who, does he give this vision to anyone else? No, but to those who believe, to those who trust, to those, what the, those who have been given, even more will be given. That is given to them. Did you have? That by this vision where the father tells them, listen to him. The importance of the words. Very good. Very good. Isn't that the, a, a visual confirmation of what, of their faith being put in Christ? That he was said, you're the Christ. We know you are, but yet to, to give them that The word confirm, same thing as you have with miracles. It confirms what is believed. It's for believers. Are these the three that really understand who he is? Because I don't think the others really do, right? But these three do understand that. Um, can I distinguish in that way? I don't know. The, this, uh, this is the inner circle. These are the ones that Jesus pulls with him when he goes to pray in the garden. He always pulls them aside. There's one other thing. These, aren't these the three that are really the leaders of the church afterward? Yeah. Um, yeah. They've got to have confidence in what they're going to be preaching. They've got... Right. Then, so they were eyewitnesses. And for the other apostles, then, they can refer to what they have told them afterwards. I mean, this is what happened. This is our confidence, too. We Correct. Because we, because we have read what so we have it for them. We have it for them to give that as well to the other apostles to speak to them about what they saw already ahead. So yes, uh, uh, for that as well, not just for themselves. Pastor? Well, I think that seeing Jesus as the resurrected Christ 
accept them as the resurrected Christ rather than some sort of a ghost. Yeah. Some sort of a spiritual ghost. And I think that that God didn't want that to happen. Exactly. That almost happened at the tomb anyway. <laughs> Correct. And so here, to teach who Jesus is, what is he? Just a spirit, just a ghost, just a vision, phantom? No. His human and divine nature, and we get to see his divine nature shining through the human nature. We, you see that together. So yes, this is done. For Jesus even, not only for them, for others, for us, we find that uh, the other Gospels uh, tell us that Moses and Elijah are there. And it tells us that they were talking about Jesus. The Greek word is exodus, from which we would say departure, his departure. And we say, well, where, what were they talking about? They're talking about his departure, that is, his suffering and dying and rising, and his departure, his taking leave of this world, his that. And so they are telling him, Jesus, you're the promised one. Moses and Elijah are pointing Jesus forward to, go get him. You're, it's time for you to go to the cross for us. Why Moses? Why Moses? The law. He, is, he brings the law. He's also the greatest prophet ever. One in which God said, I spoke to him like I spoke to no other person. Wow. Uh, so here's Moses. He was also the leader of the Israelites when they came out of slavery into the promised land. So here is the second Moses, the second leader. He's not come to bring Ten Commandments, but he is the one that they were baptized into Moses in the sea and through the land. And so here, what? We have our leader who is going to lead us through an exodus out of slavery to sin into newness of life. And wouldn't it also be to show us that we need to listen to what Moses, Elijah, the law and the prophets have always said about the Messiah to come? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so this is the representatives, Moses writing five books, you have Elijah who is uh, the great prophet who at the lowest point of God's people calls them back as the showdown with Baal on the mountain, calls them back to choose who you're going to serve, come back to the one true God, and um, you know, does great miracles. He brings them back. So here we have, again, Jesus who has come all of them pointing, the representative of the Old Testament pointing to Jesus is it. And so we might have great confidence. They didn't have the New Testament. They had the Old Testament. And here is all of the Old Testament saying, yes, that's who we're talking about. That's who we're pointing to. And so they are there as, as witnesses. Um, they've, they've died. <laughs> and yet they're alive. Uh, this is definitely a picture of heaven. Once the apostles are awake, they get to see this vision. Peter's got an idea. Isaiah, what does Peter want to do? He's got some kind of idea so they can stay there. 
Do you know what he wants to make? He said, I'll build you something. The New King James uses the word tabernacle, but what is it literally? It's a tent. Peter says, I'll make three tents. We'll all go camping. No. Is that what he's talking about? Camping? I'll, I'll build three tents. We'll build one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you, Jesus. You think he needs a tent? You think Jesus needs a tent up there? No. You think Moses and Elijah want a tent up on the mountain? No. What is, what is Peter thinking? Why does he think that he's going to he doesn't want to leave. This is the way in which you prolong the experience, right? If we're already up here, what are we going to do? We're going to put up some tents so we can stay. He doesn't want to leave. He likes this experience. We get to see Jesus in all his glory. We get to see Moses and Elijah. We get to see heaven. He gets a taste of heaven and he says, I don't want to leave. And, I, and you can't blame him. Exactly. Any of us, if we, if we saw that, would also say, yes, um, I, wish to be, I wish to stay, I wish to be with him. Yes. Uh, but then uh, there's a bright cloud overshadowing them. Uh, Pastor Arun talked about in the temple, whenever God came to dwell in the temple, it said that the cloud of glory filled the temple and the priests and they were not even able to continue to do their, in the first temple, were able to do their, their work that was in there. It was the sign of God's presence. And so God's presence comes, the, the Heavenly Father's presence comes, and it says, envelops them, overshadows them, overtakes them, and a voice speaks out. What was their reaction to this voice from God the Father? What do they do? They're terrified. They fall down in worship on their faces. Unworthy, right? Um, yeah. They fall down on their faces. They're greatly afraid. What had the Father said? Very similar to what he said when Jesus at that time. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And he says, hear him. And then he has hear him. And then he adds you know, two English words for us. Uh, adds, listen to him, hear him. Right. It's similar to what we had at the baptism. Uh, and now we need to listen to Jesus. Uh, Karen pointed that out, that... They need to listen to what he says, not their own ideas, but what he says about what he's going to do. He's told them again and again, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again. They need to listen to those words that they might grab the, the comfort of that. Why do they... Does it surprise you that God speaks and people fall on their faces? Has this happened before? Yeah, Mount Sinai, and so here Jesus up on a mountain, there you're up on a mountain. Yeah, I mean, you see the, the connection. Uh, the people are going to, to, to fall down, uh, to run away, if you will, uh, from, from all of it. Verse 7, 
But Jesus came and touched them. Before anything happens, he comes and touches them. Why does he touch them? What now? Okay, you got physicalness, the man, the touching. Absolutely, that's true. I think that in a lot of his miracles, anytime he touched somebody, they were healed. And so I would think him touching them would be a washing away of sins. Don't fear. I've just taken your sins away. <laughs> Whatever. I, there is, there's no fear with me if there's healing. It is. Wherever there is the touching of the one who is uh, a leper, he is cleansed. Uh, that the touching often is a blessing, an imparting of that. It is an embracing. I, I think, just as you say, even of Jesus' humanity, his embracing of them, and they are human. He too is 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 doing that. We have Isaiah whenever he is concerned uh, uh, about uh, being a sinner, that the Lord comes and touches his lips and says, "Now your sin has been taken away." So yes, there is this, uh, this assurance. This is not Jesus coming and bopping him on the head. <laughs> this is him coming to a welcoming, receiving touch. He touches them. He says, arise. It's a, uh, a single act. Get up. Um, is it wrong that they fall down? No. If you're a sinner, you confess your sins. But when the Lord comes and says, I forgive you your sins, he says, it's time to get up now. Um, I'm forgiving you your sins. And then he tells them what they are doing and says, now stop doing this. It's an ongoing thing that you're doing. Do not be afraid. You are afraid. You're in fear. Now stop it. Uh, put an end to that. And he has given them every reason uh, that they might not be afraid, that they might uh, put that away. The vision stops, and they get up, lift up their eyes, and the vision's gone. Moses is gone, Elijah's gone, the glory's gone, the shining's gone. What do they see? Jesus. Jesus. Just the same one that they saw before. Is he the same? Well, absolutely he is. <laughs> He's no different than he was even when he was in all his divine glory. But now his divine glory is being hidden. And they see simply the Jesus. And so there is more there than what they see. And so this is something that is for them to go with them. I think Pastor Rune said it quite well. So that even in the resurrection, that they might realize that there is more going on than simply what... Uh, their eyes have, have seen. They're told not to tell this vision until after he has risen from the dead, obviously a pointing forward to the rising from the dead uh, that is to happen. Uh, also because it's not time for this to be spoken. And there may be something also to him giving this vision, but not to the whole twelve, only to the three that, that it might be kept a secret. You know, when I have tell everyone, uh, just a good number. Uh, two or three, well, that serves as a, a, a reliable witness, admissible in a, 
court of law, and so here you have enough to say that yes, this in fact has happened. And so this transfiguration is a, uh, a strengthening. It's a strengthening for us as well. We get to see uh, what heaven is going to be like even before it happens. We too have the encouragement to listen to him, to always hold to the words, because it is the words that bring us heavenly glory. It's the words that show us who Jesus is. And so that's uh, what we are to do. Questions tonight? All right, prayers this evening. Do we need to ask God for, thank him for? Forgiveness. Forgiveness we need to ask for? For bringing us into that new kingdom. Very good. Very good. For showing us what we are and have to look forward to. Yes, for giving us a, a, a foretaste of that which is to come. Look forward to. We can trust Moses. We can trust Elijah. We can trust Peter, James, and John. The words of God. Particularly that we might listen to Jesus. We stand. We'll use the responsive prayer in our sheet. Holy God, holy and most gracious Father, you shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his man or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. 
Amen. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his right is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the shaft which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray. O God, who in the glorious transfiguration of your only begotten Son confirmed the mysteries of the faith by the testimonies of the fathers, and who in the voice that came from the bright cloud, did in a wonderful manner foreshow the adoption of sons, mercifully make and keep us co-heirs with the King of his glory, and bring us to the enjoyment of the same, through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the vision that we got to see what joys that are to come for us. And we ask, dear Lord, that we might not be afraid, but trust in your forgiveness, that we might face whatever place in life and the struggles that you have given us. And we ask that you would direct our hearts, that we might put our faith in your word, for it is in those words that drive out fear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all.